Welcome to Misinformation, the podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey. Hey, Julia. It's October. October, the spookiest month. The spookiest month, as Twitter says. I, where is that from? I don't know. I think it's someone, you know, it's like, it's like noob. It's like someone misspelled it at one point. Okay. Or, or te, you know, or pran. Ugh. It's a it's a nerd thing, I think. Internet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the internet is a weird and woolly place. Well, the spookiest month makes me think of um, not only decorative gourds, but yes, ghost stories. Ooh. Um, and I remember reading those like the scary stories you shouldn't read in the dark. Oh or yeah. Whatever. Uh, and the one that has just like stuck with me for mm-hmm. ages and ages is the one about the lady with the ribbon tied around her neck oh, no. and you were never supposed to touch the never, ribbon. Never ever. And then one day her husband pulled on the ribbon and her head fell off. And that is a perfect example of why men never do what they're told. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We love men. Some we love them. them. Uh, so that story, again, spookiest month, stuck with me. Um, and I figured, why not talk about some of the most famous beheaded people? Um, two of them, which were wives of Henry VIII. And that's what today's topic is, the six wives of Henry VIII. Nice. Henry VIII, mm-hmm. you know, king of England. I'm not going to talk too much about him. Yeah, because we've heard enough. About we've him. heard enough of him. He's had a, his... He has a whole song, doesn't he? Isn't that a, like a Gilbert and <laughs> Sullivan song? I'm Henry VIII, I am. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> um, so his first marriage lasted for nearly 24 years, and then his other five marriages lasted less than 10 years combined. Which goes to show that you should just stick with what you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, continue. Sorry. So... The six women who were married to Henry VIII were mm-hmm. in chronological order. We're going to start with Catherine of Aragon. Mm. So she was born in 1485 in Spain. She was the daughter of Isabella I of Castile and Ferdinand II of Aragon. Um, she was actually betrothed to Arthur Tudor of England, who was the Prince of Wales, when Ooh. she was three years old. Arthur was the older brother of Henry. Wait, when she was three years old, when she was, she was betrothed? three years old, she was betrothed to him. They didn't, you know. Well, of course They wait not. until they're like, you know, of the ripe old age. age of 14 to actually <laughs> like marry them off. Oh, good. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Catherine had long red hair and blue eyes. She's sometimes mm. like portrayed in uh, modern reinterpretations as being like a dark and beautiful Spanish woman. But mm-hmm. she was, um, she was red-haired. redhead, blue eyes. Spaniard. Nothing wrong with that. Of course, of mm. course. Um, she was educated by a tutor. She learned math, canon and civil law, classic literature, genealogy and heraldry, wow. history, philosophy, religion, and theology. And she spoke several languages. Wow. She was smart. What abroad. Yeah. So in May 1499, Catherine and Arthur were married by proxy. Um, they wrote to each other in Latin until Arthur turned 15 and then it was decided they were old enough to be married and they actually met for the first time in 1501 so they were technically like married by proxy two years prior oh weird um so again they met for the first time in 1501 and although had they had corresponded with each other in latin they found that they could actually not understand each other because they had learned different pronunciations of things oh. so <laughs> oh that's sad um they had an official big big wedding in november 1501 Mm-hmm. But like four months later, Arthur got the sweating sickness. Wait, wait, 
the sweating sickness the sweating sickness and this shows up a lot in um like st- early 16th century history especially okay. in england so from 1485 to 1551 there were five epidemics of the sweating sickness mm. that swept through england and once through europe with mortality rates from 30 to 50 <gasps> percent what? So it seemed to be prevalent among upper class males. Mm. So royals and their cohorts were particularly affected. Um, there's been some modern, like educated speculation that it was a result of a hantavirus. Oh, okay, um, a yeah. Hantavirus pulmonary syndrome, which wasn't even recognized until 1993. But there was about this like 50, 60 year span where just like if you got the sweating sickness. You were out. You were probably on wow. your way out. And that's that's carried by mouse droppings, yes. correct? I learned mm-hmm. that from work. This is a very rodent yes. rodent carrier illness. So Arthur, he's dead. Ready? He's dead. Poor Arthur. Uh, it's 1502. To settle the matter of the dowry that the Spanish had owed the English royals, it was agreed that Catherine would then marry Henry VII's second son, also named Henry, the Duke of York, who was five years younger than she was. So he's, you know, like 10 years old. They're not going to oh get married God. yet. Um, so in 1507, she held the ambas- the position of ambassador of the Aragonese crown in England. And she was the first female ambassador in European history. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so in order to marry Henry, which was basically to fulfill the dowry sure. thing, yeah. um, a papal dispensation was obtained because... There, I'll tell you in a minute okay. of why they needed a papal dispensation. Okay. Um, the marriage didn't actually take place until he came to the throne in 1509. And she was 23 and he was 18. Okay. Well, that's, I mean. Reasonable. Yeah, that's totally reasonable, I guess. <laughs> uh, so Catherine had several stillborn babies or children who died early in infancy. And the only one who survived was Mary, um, who was born in 1516. Hmm. Daughters were of no use to the king. Nope. It was seen against the laws of God and nature for a woman to hold dominion over men. Wow. Yeah. Um, in 1513, Henry was off at war in France and he dubbed her the regent in England. Cool. And around then, England was also at war in Scotland. And Catherine, while pregnant, ordered an army to be raised, then rode in full armor to the north and gave a rousing speech to the troops. Wow. Yeah, she's so cool. Pregnancy armor. I want to see that. (laughs) I want to see her pregnancy armor. That's cool. Um, At this time, education among women started to become fashionable, partly because of Catherine's influence, and she also donated large sums of money to several colleges. Cool. Yay. Man, she seems like an awesome person. Yes. For that time period, of course. Yeah, for that time. Mm -hmm. Um, By 1525, though, Henry VIII, he was infatuated with another lady and Boleyn and dissatisfied that his marriage to Catherine had produced no surviving sons. Um, Tudor medicine stated the importance of sex for health and without it, fluids and vapors were thought to build up in the body and cause fits, fever, and illness. You don't want those vapors. (laughs) Just building up inside you. Um, So aristocratic wives were expected to be models of chastity in order to produce heirs, but their husbands were permitted to seek sexual satisfaction elsewhere, typically with women of lower classes. So Henry requested an annulment from the Catholic Church on the grounds that an Old Testament verse justified his stance. He said, if a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an impurity. He hath uncovered his brother's nakedness and they shall be childless. So he thought that this line from the Old Testament that basically said that you're not supposed to marry your brother's widow Mm -hmm. was grounds for being annulled. I wonder how long that took him. I wonder if he was like... 
he had his Bible in front of him was just scouring like well, every night or hired somebody to do he, that. They needed the papal dispensation to begin with oh. to, for that marriage to go through was like people were taken just like, you know, certain lines of the Bible sure, very yeah. seriously at that time. And that was one of them. So huh. this is also what he used later to justify his, um, his annulment from the Catholic church. That's interesting. But the Pope refused. He's like, Nope, no, you forget that. Um, have been married for like 20 years. Yeah. You, you know, this you're married. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so at that point, Henry decided to separate from Catherine. And then he ordered the highest church official in England, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, to convene a court to rule on the status of his marriage to Catherine. So he ordered the English courts to like rule on this. Jeez. And wow, what a surprise. In May 1533, <laughs> the Archbishop ruled the marriage to Catherine null and void. Wow. Um, and two weeks later, he pronounced the king legally married to Anne Boleyn, with whom Henry had already secretly exchanged wedding vows probably in late January 1533. Wow. And this officially led to the break from the Roman Catholic Church and the later establishment of the church in England. That's so, very interesting. So like Catherine of Aragon, she was like, nope, you're still my husband. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't, this isn't right. I didn't yeah. have a say in any of this. Um, so until the end of her life, she would refer to herself as Henry's only lawful wedded wife and England's only rightful queen. And her servants continued to address her by that title. Good. Um, but Henry refused her the right to any title, but dowager princess of Wales in recognition of her position as his brother's widow. So wow. like she put up with him for, yeah, for those years. And like she went through dealing with all of these like miscarriages and stillborns. Mm -hmm. And he decided that nope, he really wanted a son. And the, probably the next best way is let's move on to another fertile lady. Wow. Yeah. What up? Oh yeah. Oh my God. You're gonna like, if you already don't hate Henry the eighth, you are going <laughs> to hate him <laughs> by the end him. of this one. I've noticed that when in, in, um, in quality control, listening to our episodes, I, I express disgust <laughs> frequently to the point of in our food episode, I actually made the fake vomit noise too often. So I apologize to our <laughs> listeners for my fake throw up noise. I wasn't actually gagging, but I, this, this is not going to improve in this episode, guys. Right. I'm going to be, it's going to be a lot of, ugh. Yep. I, I played it that way. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just I'm just like your hype man for <laughs> for just disgust. <laughs> so Henry's second wife, Anne Boleyn, she was born about 1501. Not mm. totally sure of her exact birthday. Life's about her age. Um, so she had actually worked in the service of Catherine of Aragon in the in the Queen's uh -huh. in the castle. Um, Anne was of average height and had a slender build with a long, straight, and thick black or dark brown hair dark brown eyes, a considerably long nose, a definite wide mouth with slim lips, and an olive complexion. Um, that sounds like me. Okay. <laughs> Julia. Are you are you trolling me right now? <laughs> oh my god, maybe this is gonna like be some like regression therapy for you and <laughs> no, you're gonna, gonna discover that <gasps> <laughs> I was Anne Boleyn in another life. <laughs> yeah, like when people talk about like past lives, they're like, yes, you were Marie Antoinette yeah, in exactly. a past life. Like billions of people on this world <laughs> lived and died. You get to be the famous one. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. They anyway, go on. Continue. I'm sorry. Uh, so <laughs> Anne was considered to be brilliant, charming, driven, elegant, forthright, and graceful with a keen wit and a lively, opinionated, and passionate personality. Also sounds Again, like me. Again, very... <laughs> All right, that's fine. You could, all right, I am. All that's right, me. All right. Well, 
in um, early 1526, Henry VIII began his pursuit of Anne. And because she was in the court, like he had seen her a lot, Mm -hmm. um, she resisted his attempts to seduce her, refusing to become his mistress because her sister Mary had been his mistress, one of his mistresses. Um, And it soon became the one object of Henry's desires to annul his marriage to Queen Catherine so that he could be free to marry Anne because she was like, nope, I'm not going to sleep with you. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, well, what if you were the queen? Then would you sleep with me? And then she's like, well, maybe. I guess (laughs) if you're going to do that. Um, so there there was evidence of intimacy between the king and Anne prior to their marriage. Um, there were there have been some love letters that have survived. Mm. Um, in one of them, he expressed his admiration for her pretty duckies, <gasps> which was a um, a term at the time for breasts. Duckies. duckies. Ew. Pretty duckies. Oh my god, he couldn't come up with couldn't come up with a better, <laughs> more flattering term for that. Right. So, um, in 1533, um, Anne was crowned Queen Consort of England um, in June of 1533. And later that year, on September 7th, um, 1533, Anne gave birth to Henry's second daughter, Elizabeth. Hmm. Um, Henry was disappointed to have a daughter rather than a son because he, again, he hoped he would have a son and that it there would be a son that would follow and he did uh profess to actually love his daughter elizabeth isn't that nice oh. dad actually saying that he liked his that his offspring That's well good. he better because she was going to be like one of the most powerful monarchs in history eventually foresight <laughs> so um henry and anne had been so convinced that she was carrying a boy that the royal birth announcements had been printed up ahead of time mentioning a prince wow and then they had to add like one s to the end of every mention of prince to spell princess with like one s so it's misspelled everywhere that's a way to save money. Yeah. Um, in and service. Okay. There were more than 250 servants to tend to her personal needs. This is everyone from priests to stable boys. And she had more than 60 maids of honor who served her and accompanied her to local events. Are you serious? That's like, th- that is a very big posse. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of people to keep track of at any one time. You'd have to do a head count like on a bus. <laughs> you, everybody get your buddy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um and again she was very smart um she had a lot of political acumen and she was very forward um she, although she, all of those qualities were desirable in a mistress they were at the time unacceptable in a wife she was once re- reported to have spoken to her uncle in words that shouldn't be used to a dog she spent lavish amounts of money on gowns jewels headdresses ostrich feather fans riding equipment furniture maintaining the ostentatious display required by her status and numerous palaces were renovated to suit her and henry's extravagant tastes wow good for her for just being like all right you know what if this guy's gonna force me to marrying him i'm gonna spend all his money here we go yep uh okay but it's three years later by march 1536 henry was courting jane seymour and in order to marry medicine woman (laughs) dr quinn dr quinn medicine woman (laughs) in order to marry jane seymour henry had to find reasons for his marriage with anne to end oh um one story said that anne gave jane a locket with a miniature portrait of himself inside and jane in the presence of anne began opening and shutting it like (gasps) wow And Anne responded by ripping off the locket from her face with such force that her fingers bled. (gasps) Oh, my God. Cat fight. So Henry is trying to figure out ways to, you know, he's he's out of love with Anne. She still hasn't produced him a son. Yeah. Whatever. That's all he cares. Um, 
he had Anne investigated for adultery, incest, and high treason in April 1536. Anne was charged with having diabolically seduced five men because of her frail and carnal appetites. And these this list of men included her own brother. Oh my God. So she's painted in like the worst possible yeah. terms to suggest that no man, not even a king among men such as Henry, could be expected to keep up with a woman of such depraved and voracious sexuality. Oh of course. On May 2nd, she was arrested and sent to the Tower of London, where she was tried before a jury of peers, which included Henry Percy, who was her former betrothed, and her own uncle, Thomas Howard. And even between all that, they found her guilty on May 15th. So by the Treason Act of Edward III, adultery on the part of a queen was a form of treason because of the implications for the succession to the throne, for which the penalty was hanging, drawing and quartering for a man and burning alive for a woman. Of course. Why do they always want to burn us alive? (laughs) You know, like, guys, there are multiple ways to kill a person. We're very frail beings. Don't burn us alive. Come on. I'll take drowning over burning alive. Anyway. <laughs> the, the witchcraft trials yeah, in, the, in England and would have been great for you. I know. Try and talk them out of it. <laughs> um, Henry actually commuted Anne's sentence from burning to beheading. Yay. Um, and then rather have a queen beheaded with a common axe, he brought in an expert swordsman from France to perform the execution. Oh, well, thank heaven for small favors, I guess. She was beheaded four days later. She wore a red petticoat under a loose dark gray gown of damask, trimmed in fur and a mantle of ermine, and accompanied by two female tenants, Anne made her final walk from the queen's house to the scaffold. (sighs) According to legend, after Anne Boleyn's beheading in 1536, her heart was removed from her body and taken to a rural church in Erwarton, Suffolk, where the queen is said to have spent some happy days during her youth. In 1837, excavations at the church uncovered a small heart-shaped lead casket inside a wall. <gasps> Get out of here. The only thing inside was a handful of dust, and it's not clear whether it was like ever actually the heart, but the casket was then reburied in a vault beneath the organ, where a plaque today marks the spot. Oh, that's like really sweet. Yeah, and there, um, I'm st- I've started to read The Lady in the Tower by Alison Weir. She's a um, a historian who's written a lot about the wives of Henry VIII. Yeah. And um, I read real quick the section on legends and it's just like all of these places have a story with like yeah. they're being haunted by Anne Boleyn or mm. one of her family members or, you know, every year on this day she takes a walk across the field. In a white you know, dress. They're always in a white dress. With their head tucked <laughs> underneath her arm. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Not even in death her head is attached. Right. So she's kind of a, a tragic figure. She was yeah. like really, her name was dragged through the mud um, yeah. just because Henry just wanted another just wanted reason. somebody else. Yeah. And there's not really any evidence that she ever like committed any adultery mm-hmm. or, you know, obviously did any of the things that she was accused of. Yeah. I mean, I if, for, if you're marrying a guy who has already gotten rid of his first wife, mm-hmm. you'd think that you would really toe a line, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you know that he has some vengeful qualities. Yeah. I don't think you'd throw all of that away just to be like, "Eh, I want to do my brother, which was definitely not true. So uh, he wanted to get rid of his first wife, so he seceded from the Catholic Church after Mm -hmm. hundreds of years. Uh, Wanted to get rid of his second wife, had her beheaded. You know who wanted to marry him next? Jane Seymour. What What a dummy. So she was born in 1508. Um, she also worked in Catherine of Aragon's and then also Anne Boleyn's services oh, at the geez. castle. Oh, jeez. just going down the line. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you do, you only met so many people <laughs> back true. in the day. <laughs> it's not like he's going out on the town. 
Um, Jane could read and write a little, but she was much better at needlework and household management, which were considered much more necessary for women. Uh, Jane was of middling stature and very pale and not of much beauty. Oh, poor Janie. Uh, But she married Henry about 10 days after Anne Boleyn was executed. She was never publicly crowned because of the plague in London where the coronation was supposed to take place. Um, And people also say that Henry may have actually been reluctant to have her crowned before she had fulfilled her duty as a queen consort Mm. by bearing him a son and male heir. Sure. Um, Jane put forth a lot of effort to be able to restore Henry's first child, Mary, to the court because Henry was, you know, originally was just like, oh, I don't need a daughter. Like, send her away. Um, And, you know, he kind of was a little nicer to Elizabeth, I guess, but um, Jane Seymour made sure that like Mary was kind of reestablished back into the Royal family um, and that she was um, restored to the Royal succession line behind any children that Jane might have with Henry. Mm -hmm. And while Jane was unable to restore Mary to the line of succession, she was able to reconcile her with Henry. Mm. So that was nice. Good stepmom. Yeah. Uh, Jane gave birth to a healthy, legitimate male heir, Edward, but she died 12 days later, uh-huh. presumably because of postnatal complications. Which a lot of know, people died from. Because because uh, childbirth is horrific oh and God. so much could go wrong oh and gosh. everything is dirty and everybody has the plague. <laughs> yeah, everybody has the plague. If you're born into a plague, you... <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good luck. So her death actually caused her husband like genuine grief. Um, she was the only queen to receive a proper queen's burial. Oh, wow. And later, um, after Henry actually died, he was buried alongside her. Oh, because wow. okay. he considered her his only true wife since she was the only one to bear him a son. So Henry VIII is buried with Jane Seymour. Okay, good to know. Keep that in mind, everybody. Yeah. Um, after Jane, we got Anne of Cleves. She um, was born in 1515. She was a German princess. Henry referred to her as a Flanders mare, which may or not, oh. may not be true. Uh, and nevertheless, the label has stuck with Anne. So the artist um, Hans Holbein the Younger was dispatched to Durin, Germany to paint portraits mm-hmm. of Anne and her younger sister, Amalia, each of whom Henry was considering to become his fourth wife. Yes, of course. And um, Henry wanted the artist to be as accurate as possible and not to flatter the sisters. You know, mm-hmm. this is like the online dating profile of like... <laughs> it's like, I want a real picture, <laughs> a full body picture. Yes, I need you to paint a portrait and do it as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry valued education and cultural sophistication in women, but Anne lacked these. She had received no formal education, but she was skilled needlework and like playing card games. She could read and write, but only in German. Um, nevertheless, she was considered gentle, virtuous, and docile qualities that recommended her as a suitable candidate for Henry. Mm. So, you know, Hans painted these portraits of, yep. uh, of um, Anne and her sister Amalia, uh, brought them back to England. Henry took a look at them and then picked, picked Anne. Uh, he ended up not really liking her in person, uh, <laughs> but decided to keep up face and go through with the marriage to form an alliance with Germany. Uh, oh. Despite Henry's very focal misgivings, these two were married on J- January 6, 1540 at the Royal Palace of Palencia in Greenwich, mm. London by the Archbishop Thomas Kramer. The phrase, God send me well to keep, was engraved around Anne's wedding ring. Immediately after arriving in England, Anne conformed to the Anglican form of worship, which Henry expected. Um, the couple's first night as husband and wife was not a successful one. Henry confided to Cromwell that he had not consummated the marriage, saying, quote, I liked her before not well, but now I like her much worse. He described her as having unpleasant body odor and (gasps) sagging breasts, among other complaints. 
<laughs> wow. And then he said this to Cromwell? Yeah. Talk about yeah. locker room talk. Jeez. It is. February 1540, speaking to the Count the Countess of Rutland, and praised the king as a kind husband, saying, When he comes to bed, he kisseth me, and he taketh me by the hand, and biddeth me, Good night, sweetheart, and in the morning kisseth me, and biddeth, Farewell, darling. Lady Rutland replied to Anne, Madam, there must be more than this, or it will be long ere we have a Duke of York, which all this realm most desireth. <laughs> the marriage was annulled on July 9th, 1540, on the grounds of non-consummation and her pre-contract to Francis of Lorraine. So she had like maybe been in talks to marry somebody else before. So Henry decided to use this as a ground for their annulment. Um, Henry VIII's physician stated that after the wedding night, Henry said he was not impotent because he experienced Duas pollutiones nocturnas insomno. Uh-oh. That's two nocturnal pollutions while in sleep. So um, he was not, it wasn't his fault that no, it no. couldn't be consummated, of course. Definitely, definitely not. Um, the six month long marriage was declared never consummated, and as a result, she was not crowned queen consort. And following the annulment, she was given a generous settlement by the king and thereafter referred to as the king's beloved sister. <laughs> Oh, that's sad. She kind of dodged the bullet, though. <laughs> she definitely did. I mean, she didn't lose her head. He just sent her home. Yeah. Beloved sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, his fifth wife, Catherine Howard. Um, she worked in Anne of Cleves' service in the, in the castle, of course. Mm-hmm. And she was a first cousin of Anne Boleyn. So Catherine Howard was not as well educated as some of Henry's other wives, though her ability to read and write was impressive enough at the time. Her character has often been described as vivacious, giggly, and brisk. She displayed great interest in dance lessons, but would also often be distracted during them and make jokes. She also had a nurturing side for animals, particularly dogs. She did have a little bit of a rough upbringing, though. Um, And uh, she was sent to the court of a duchess. And while she was there, she became influenced by some other girls, some older girls who candidly allowed men into the sleeping areas at night for their entertainment. The sleeping areas for entertainment? That sounds like a cop Mm. stripper if I have ever heard of it. (laughs) Like, ladies, I've gotten a noise complaint from Mm. this room. (laughs) Well, um, as a result of letting these men into the sleeping areas, they were rewarded with food and wine and gifts. Um, Catherine Howard was most certainly molested by her music teacher when she was 13. And by age 15, she got involved with um, Frances Dereham, who was a secretary of the Dowager Duchess. So um, then she went to, you know, the court of of Anne of Cleves, and that's where she caught the eye of King Henry. So she married Henry about three weeks after his marriage to Anne of Cleves was annulled. Um, She was about 18, and he was (laughs) about 49 in 1540 um she's sometimes known as the rose without a thorn Uh um so people who had witnessed her earlier indiscretions in the like the duchess's court um Mm -hmm. contacted her for favors in return (gasps) for their silence and many of them were then appointed to her royal household oh my god blackmail yeah it was alleged that in spring 1541 catherine had embarked upon a romance with henry's favorite male courtier Thomas Culpepper, Uh-oh. who was a young man who had succeeded him in the Queen's affections, according to Francis Derham's later testimony. And this guy was like Catherine's former lover. And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, she definitely was doing this guy. Um, Culpepper called Catherine my little sweet fool in a love letter. <gasps> And the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, Thomas Kramer, became informed of Catherine's previous illicit sexual relations while under the Duchess's care. So uh, they all started an inquisition and got some other ladies to tell them all the hot goss. Oh, no. 
Henry was informed of her alleged adultery with Thomas Culpepper in November 1541, and a warrant was signed six days later. Thomas Kramer found Catherine in a frantic, incoherent state, saying, I found her in such lamentation and heaviness as I never saw no creature. It would be pitied any man's heart to have looked upon her. He ordered the guards to remove any objects that she might use to commit suicide. Two of the men with whom she'd supposedly committed adultery with were executed in 1541 and their heads were placed on spikes atop London Bridge. Oh, damn. And Catherine remained in limbo in the Tower of London until 1542. So they finally decided on an execution date and the night before her execution, she's believed to have spent many hours practicing how to perfectly lay her head upon the block which had been brought to her at her request. So she was just, just like young and silly. And just silly and she just liked boys. Yeah. Oh, I, I have this horrible, I just had like this horrible vision of her like laying her laying her head down over and over like, like, like this? No. Yeah. Not comfortable. No. How about like this? <laughs> nope. It's not good either. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> She's a very tragic one. Poor honey. Then we make it to wife number six, Catherine Parr. Um, She was born in 1512. She, Catherine Parr, had a wealthy upbringing and her father was friends with Henry VIII and her mother had been friends with Catherine of Aragon, who was at least her godmother and maybe even her namesake. So, wow. Catherine Parr had been involved with like the royal family for like all her life. Um, There's an apocryphal story that says as a child, Catherine could not tolerate sewing and often said to her mother, my hands are ordained to touch crowns and scepters, not spindles and needles. But no one ever like really proved that this happened. But it's very like, "Mm." yeah. Um, After the death of Catherine Howard in 1542, this this Catherine, Catherine Howard, Mm -hmm. um, took the opportunity to renew her friendship with the former queen's daughter, Lady Mary. And by February 1543, Catherine had established herself as part of Mary's household. And it was there that Catherine caught the attention of the king. And although she had begun a romantic friendship with Sir Thomas Seymour, the brother of the late Queen Jane Seymour, she saw it as her duty to accept Henry's proposal over his. And uh, this guy Seymour was given a posting in Brussels to remove him from the king's court. Catherine married Henry VIII on July 12th, 1543 at Hampton Court Palace. She was the first queen of England also to be queen of Ireland following Henry's adoption of the title King of Ireland. Mm. Um, Catherine took seriously her vows to be bonaire and buxom in bed and in board. Oh my. She took milk baths to keep her skin soft and the day after her wedding, she ordered fine perfumes for her bedchamber at Hampton Court. She was clearly determined to make her body and her bedchamber as enticing as possible. Damn. She showed herself to be the restorer of Henry's court as a family home for his children. And Catherine was determined to present the royal household as a close-knit one in order to demonstrate strength through unity to Henry's opposition. And she was personally involved in the education of Elizabeth and Edward, both of whom became English monarchs. Um, She was influential in Henry's passing of the Third Succession Act in 1542 that restored both his daughters, Mary and Elizabeth, to the line of succession to the throne. So Catherine was appointed regent from July to September 1544 while Henry was on a military campaign in France. And just in case if he lost his life, um, she was to rule as regent until Edward came of age. However, he did not give her any function in government in his will. Um, Henry died in 1547. Yay. Uh, So Catherine outlived him. Um, she also has a special place in history as she was the most married queen of England, having had four husbands in all. Henry was her third. Wow. She had been widowed twice before marrying Henry. And then after his death, she did marry Thomas Seymour, the uncle of Edward VI of England, who was the mm-hmm. brother of Jane Seymour. Yes. Um, and she had formed an attachment to him prior to her marriage to Henry. But then she died in childbirth after that. So 
so she of uh, so out of all of them, mm-hmm. aside from the first wife, she was the most prepared. I think so. She had seen all this go on. Mm-hmm. She'd kept an eye out. She had probably killed her previous husbands. <laughs> I'm just saying a theory. <laughs> And she was like, I'm going to put this plan in place. I'm going to be the best one. I'm going to make sure that I stay here. I'm going to take care of his kids so Mm -hmm. I don't have any like future mutinies on my hands. She was. I'm going to do my best to give him another another son. Yep. Because that's apparently what this dude cares about the most. (laughs) Yeah. So So, good for her for just like getting it done. So there are some mnemonics that you can remember the order. I was going to ask about that. Yes. Um, So the order of the marriages were Kate and Anne and Jane and Anne and Kate again and again. So that's Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, Anne of Cleves, Catherine Catherine Howard and then Catherine Parr. Yeah. Okay. Um, And then... To remember how they, you know, their their fate. Mm-hmm. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Oh, that's good. Okay. So those are just some quick, to, so that you can keep you the can order remember in them. your head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the six wives. Wow. Of Henry VIII. That is very torrid. That is very um, that is very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it was the toast of England at the time in terms of gossip. <laughs> People were like, "You are not going to believe what Henry did this time." Uh, I loved it. That was great. I also like that we got to know a little bit about the ladies themselves. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times it's all about Henry VIII. Right. You know what I mean? He's got broad shoulders. We've all seen pictures of loves his... Loves his velvet. Oh my God, he loves his velvet. And his um, <laughs> pumpkin uh, trousers, they're called pumpkin breeches. Oh, is that That's, that puffy thing at the, the thighs? It's the puffy thing like in the just, thighs. Let's uh, really just showcase these thighs. Yeah. <laughs> really show how strong they are (laughs) and um that like striped look that the pumpkin breeches have it's known as slashed and puffed so what they would do is they have two layers of fabric this is another thing about my like costume background but they were big and puffy they had a lot of fabric in them therefore they were expensive so there were two layers of different colored fabrics and they would Mm. um open up the first layer and then slightly pull and puff out the second layer so that it gave it like a a pumpkin-y quality, oh, which cool. is very on trend right now for October. So here we go. Full circle. <laughs> full circle. Spooky spookiest beheadings month. to pumpkin breeches. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. We did not do that on purpose, I will say. That was not on purpose. And now it's time for my quiz, Yay. which is titled Historically Messy Breakups. I love that. Question one. What was the name of the first Empress of France, who was later divorced by her boneheaded militaristic husband, for the good of the country? Question two. While in prison, which prolific author wrote a personal 20-page love letter to poet Lord Alfred Douglas, whose father was basically the reason for this author ending up in jail in the first place? The letter was never sent to Douglas, but later published with the title De Profundis. Question three. So romantic. Which future president of the United States accidentally got engaged to a woman named Mary Owens when he joked with her sister that if she moved to Illinois, he would marry her? Question four. In 1960, which author of The Naked and the Dead wanted his wife Adele dead when he stabbed her twice with a penknife during a drunken altercation at their New York City apartment? Question five. Iconic actress Elizabeth Taylor notably got married eight times to seven different men. What was the name of the Welsh actor who she married twice, and in what country was their second wedding? 
Question six. Of the five core Fleetwood Mac members who all contributed to the band's massively successful albums, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, and Tusk, who was the first to officially leave the band in 1987? Question seven. Speaking of band breakups, what was the Beatles' final album release before the band publicly announced its split? Question eight. The media widely covered the divorce of Prince Charles and Princess Diana in the 1990s, but perhaps more famous was the televised coverage of their fairy tale wedding in 1981, which was seen by more than 750 million people worldwide. Here are three true or false statements about that wedding. First, the wedding was held at Westminster Abbey. Second, Diana accidentally messed up the order of Charles's names during the vows. And third statement, Diana did not say that she would obey him in their vows. Question nine. Here's a 50-50. Which Gallagher brother officially quit Oasis in 2009, essentially ending the band's quarter century career? Was it Liam or Noel? And question 10. Yet another great British row. In fall 2016, the beloved Great British Bake Off announced that it was moving from the BBC to Channel 4, and venerated judge Mary Berry, along with hosts Sue Perkins and Mel Gedroik, decided not to move with it. The show, narrowing its new season in the UK, paired off male judge Paul Hollywood with another woman of a certain age to judge the baker's creations. What is this new judge's name? And we'll give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with the answers. You don't know who you're looking at, now just you look at me. I'm a bit of a knob, I am belong to royalty. I'll tell you how it got about, I married Widow Birch. I was king of England when we trotted out to church. Outside the people started shouting hip hooray. Said I go down upon your knees, it's coronation day. I'm in a reason, I am. In a reason, I am. I am. I got married to the widow next door. She'd been married seven times before. Everyone was a Henry. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. I'm a race man named Henry. Henry the ace I am. And now time for the answers. <laughs> Yay, I'm excited. I, right. know, I know a bunch of these surprisingly. Great. Um, question one, what was the name of the first empress of France who was later divorced by her boneheaded militaristic husband for the good of the country? Was it Josephine Bonaparte? Was, yes, nice. Josephine Bonaparte. Um, her name was actually Marie Joseph Rose, but Napoleon renamed her. He liked what? Josephine better. Um, she was widowed with two children when she met Napoleon in 1795, and they got married a year later when Napoleon was on his way to crowning himself emperor mm-hmm. in 1804. However, Josephine and Napoleon and all their tumultuous relations failed to produce a male heir or any child at all. And in 1806, one of Napoleon's mistresses became pregnant. So Napoleon realized the problem couldn't possibly be him if his mistress got pregnant. So in 1809, Napoleon told Josephine that in the interest of France, he must divorce her and find a wife who could produce an heir. They had a public divorce ceremony and Napoleon went on to marry and have a son with Marie-Louise of Austria. Yeah. Oh, God. 
And I read some pasture. And I read somewhere like biologically, it's the man that like gives the gender, like that's the male genes oh, that man. give the gender. Sure. So it was uh, so through all of that, it was Henry's fault. Yeah. It was Napoleon's fault that they didn't get oh, a male. Oh, another heir. thing was, um, you know, the like the rhesus blood types and stuff, yeah. like at the positive and negative in the blood. Mm-hmm. They suspect that Henry had like that negative version of the of the blood, and it, okay. and it didn't gel well with the women, which is why so many of them the children were like needed to being born and then they died right away yeah um and nowadays they can just like inject the woman with like something something and you know everything's fine wow um but they suspect it was probably like a blood thing yeah i mean how ironic that it was his fault all along yeah you know just saying <laughs> uh question two while in prison which prolific author wrote a personal 20-page love letter to poet lord alfred douglas um, that's Oliver, that's Oliver Oscar Wilde. It is Oscar yes. Wilde. So um, Oscar Wilde and Alfred Douglas had carried on a secret relationship for years, with Douglas's father being an outspoken opponent of homosexuality. Um, <laughs> Douglas's father found out about the relationship and had Wilde arrested for gross indecency. So Wilde's fifty thousand word long love letter, Aww. De Profundis, recounted their previous relationship and extravagant lifestyle, and Wilde indicted both Lord Alfred's vanity and his own weakness into causing that situation. Um, Douglas never visited or wrote to Wilde while he was what? in prison. Yeah. And the two had a rocky relationship for two years before Wilde died. And Douglas later claimed that he intensely regretted having met Wilde. Oh, he's, a, he's a real jerk ball. Yeah. He's a like, rich jerk ball. Yeah. Oscar, you can do better than that. <laughs> You'll find yourself a nice young guy who loves you deeply and just wants and to take care of you. And his won't have you sent to prison. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Question three, so romantic. Which future president in the United States accidentally got engaged to a woman named Mary Owens when he joked with her sister that if she moved to Illinois, he would marry her? I, I, I want to say, um, uh, um, I can't remember his name now, so never mind. But I don't, I have no idea. It's Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, really? <laughs> he seemed like such a morose person. Yeah. I don't see him as like someone who would joke. Well, um, Yes, he was friends with Mary Owen's sister, Elizabeth, who was very like, oh, man, you got to meet my sister. Oh, man. And uh, Abe like joked with her. Well, if she moves, if she moves here, sure, we'll get we can get married. So in 1836, Mary moved to New Salem, surprising old Abe. And after spending more time with Mary, he began to regret it. (laughs) <laughs> when he finally reluctantly proposed to her, she actually unexpectedly rejected his suit. Um, lest we think that Abe Lincoln was not also capable of throwing shade, he wrote about Mary <laughs> Owens, quote, Although I had seen her before, she did not look as my imagination had pictured her. I knew she was oversized, but <gasps> she now appeared a fair match for Falstaff. I knew she was called an old maid, and I felt no doubt of the truth for at least half of the appellation. But now, when I beheld her, I could not for my life avoid thinking of my mother. <gasps> and this, not from withered features, for her skin was too full of fat to what? permit of its contracting into wrinkles, but from her want of teeth, weather-beaten <gasps> appearance in general, and from a kind of notion that ran in my head that nothing could have commenced at the size of infancy and reached her present bulk in less than 35 or 40 years and in short i was not at all pleased with her but what could i do i had told her sister i would take her for better or for worse oh my god i made a point of honor and conscience in all things to stick to my word wow wow (laughs) i'm sorry did you read that off of reddit (laughs) because wow abe like first of all he shouldn't talk because he had really bad skin. He had Marfan syndrome. No one wants a lanky, big boned, tall, stovepipe hatted, high voiced, 
son of a bitch who <laughs> thinks he's better than this beautiful woman who just wanted a lovely man. Shame on him. In Least favorite end, president. She now. realized that he didn't really like her and didn't, Aww. you know, well, they didn't get married. Good Yay. for her for cutting her losses. She's yeah. like, you know what? I don't need this either. And now she's a footnote in history, but also. I was able to find this really great letter that Abe Abe wrote about her. Uh, Question four. In 1960, which author of The Naked and the Dead wanted his wife Adele dead when he stabbed her twice with a penknife during a drunken altercation at their NYC apartment? Is it Burroughs? It's uh, Norman Mailer. Mailer. So in November 1960, Mailer and his wife Adele Morales threw a party to launch his proposed New York mayoral campaign. Um, there were like 200 people at this party. By 4:30 the next day, with a few partygoers as witnesses, Mailer rushed to his wife and stabbed her with a rusty two and a half inch penknife, once in the back and once through her breast, puncturing her cardiac sac and narrowly missing her heart. Mailer addressed the shocked guests standing over Morales's prostrate body, saying, "Don't touch her. Let the bitch die." <gasps> and they divorced two years later. Wow. Yeah, and she never pushed charges against him, even though there were like witnesses that were like, "Oh yeah, no, he, he totally definitely stabbed her. stabbed her." Yep. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Norman Mailer, what a piece of work. Uh, question five: Iconic actress Elizabeth Taylor notably got married eight times to seven different men. What was the name of the Welsh actor who she married twice, and in what country was their second wedding? Oh man, okay, I've been trying to think of this. Is it Robert? Robert? No. Oh damn it, Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. Richard Burton. Yeah. Richard Burton. And I want to say Italy. Mm. So it is Richard Burton. Okay. Their second wedding was in Botswana. Oh, in October oh, 1975. I know it's I was not very random, that. but maybe that's a good thing to follow away. Yeah. Um, so their first marriage lasted from 1964 to 1974, and their second was from 1975 to 1976. So it was oh. very, very rocky. Uh, Liz later said, after Richard, the men in my life were there to just hold a coat to open the door. All the men after Richard were really just company. Aww. So she really loved him, but they were they were bad for each other. Yeah, they were can't live with him. Can't live yeah. without him, you know. Uh, question six of the five core Fleetwood Mac members, who was the first to officially leave the band in 1987? I think it was Stevie Nicks, wasn't it? Uh, actually, Lindsey Buckingham. Oh. Yeah. And so the other members of Fleetwood Mac are John McVie, Christine McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Mick Fleetwood. Mm-hmm. So most of them went on to have like impressive solo sure. careers. Um, but it was it was Buckingham who was the first to officially leave the band. Mm. There was like a really bad fight. and Yeah. They, was, they did not get along no. from what I remember. No. <laughs> remember. Well, everyone was like married to one another. Yeah, and then they and all they started breaking up. And they were having and a, yeah, it was messy. Very tumultuous. Um, speaking of band breakups, what was the Beatles' final album released before the band publicly announced its split? I think it was uh, 1970s Let It Be. It was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was exactly 1970 Let It Be. Um, McCartney filed suit for the dissolution of the Beatles' contractual partnership on December 31st, 1970. Um, legal disputes continued long after their breakup, and the dissolution was not formalized until December 29th, 1974, when John Lennon signed the paperwork terminating the partnership while he was on vacation with his family at Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. And incidentally, Walt Disney World is also a venue um, where about a year earlier, Richard Nixon gave his infamous I'm not a crook speech. Oh, that I really? <laughs> he so said, like I, two very epic events in history took place at Walt that, Disney World. The happiest place on Earth. a year time span. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have no idea. That's so interesting. Uh, question eight true uh, three true or false statements about Prince Charles and Princess Diana so first the wedding was held at Westminster Abbey uh, that is true 
It's false. <gasps> it was actually at St. Paul's Cathedral because it had more seating capacity. Oh, okay. Uh, second, Diana accidentally messed up the order of Charles's names during the vows. I think that was true. It was true. Mm-hmm. She said his name is Philip Charles Arthur George instead of Charles Philip Arthur George. And the third statement, Diana did not say that she would obey him in their vows. I want to say that's false. It's actually true. Uh, they purposefully left that line out of the ceremony, which caused some controversy at oh, the time. That's and now when I go to a wedding and they do include it, I like you go boo. vocally. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> um, I have an interesting story about it. So my former boss, good friend, Jeff Mayer, um, he knows the woman who designed Diana's wedding dress. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, he used to teach in London for like, uh, uh, program they would go over to london they would like partner with the london um institute of fashion Mm -hmm. the the school over there and um so he knows her just kind of like professionally and they've had dinner and that kind of thing and he told her that i mean she told him that she was in the limo with diana (gasps) to like make sure that the dress like like Mm -hmm. hung properly and so when she got out it was like good but she said she was so nervous she was clutching her skirt so tightly and it was silk charmeuse that when she finally like le- when she was like you need to let it go like mm-hmm. let it go it was all like crumpled on the sides oh from my her gosh. gripping yeah. it so tightly because she was so nervous <gasps> so they had to do like a quick like quick smooth smooth out but it was so big i mean if you remember the yeah. pictures like yeah it's it was like a 60 foot long train or something like yeah, that it was a huge dress so That's crazy um question nine which gallagher brother officially quit oasis in 2009 was it liam or noel i'm gonna roll the dice and just say noel it was Noel. oh good uh tension between the brothers rose in a fight between them in a backstage area on august 28 2009 uh this fight reportedly resulted in liam throwing a plum and wielding <gasps> noel's guitar like an axe the group's manager announced the cancellation of their concert at the Rock on Seine Festival near Paris just minutes before it was about to begin, along with a statement that the group does not exist anymore. <laughs> Two hours later, a statement from Noel appeared on the band's website. It is with some sadness and great relief. I quit Oasis tonight. People will write and say what they like, but I simply could not go on working with Liam a day longer. That's understandable. He seems like a real asshole. Yeah, between the two of them. I mean, come on. Some some great music. Uh, the 90s oh my gosh i don't like oasis at oh. all it's the nasal like when he sings <laughs> it makes me nuts but that's i mean you know it's one of those things yeah, yeah. and uh question 10 in fall 2016 the beloved great british bake-off announced it was moving from the bbc to channel four um the show now airing its new season in the uk paired off male judge paul hollywood with another woman of a certain age to judge the baker's creations what is the new judge's name? I do know her first name is Prue, mm-hmm. but I don't remember her last name. Yes, it is Prue Leith. Leith. Mm-hmm. So she herself was like um, uh, a restaurateur and, mm. a, and a cookbook author, and she's worked on a couple other um, BBC shows as, as a judge for cooking competitions. So she's very highly um, held in the British mm. eye too, but clearly she's no, she's no Mary She's Barry. no Mary Berry. She does dress very snappily. She has these amazing, like, geometric necklaces that look Ooh, like cool. mini sculptures around her neck. So yeah. you'll have you that know to what? look forward to. I was, I was bound and determined to be like, no, never again. The original is the best. I'm never going to watch it. But yeah, you'll you watch have it. convinced I mean, me that I should probably watch it. It seems pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's all for my quiz today that was sorry great. i sometimes can't talk no but. It's, it's totally totally okay <laughs> thank you julia i learned a lot about um marriages and breakups and terrible men <laughs> and a lot of british 
fighting. Yeah, a lot of British yeah. fighting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you've been along uh, around as long as they have, yeah, <laughs> there's bound to be some conflict. So, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. You again, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever um, podcast app you prefer mm-hmm. with our RSS feed. Please uh, rate, review, and subscribe to us on any of those platforms. You can also reach us on Twitter at MissInfoPod. You can email us at MissInfoPod at gmail.com. Or you can just head to our website, MissInfoPod.com. Woo! Yay. And uh, after we sign off, stay tuned for a very special three-minute song that I really wanted to include in the episode and couldn't figure out where Ooh. to fit it in. So it's after we say goodbye. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Bye. 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 <laughs> In the Tower of London lodges life The ghost of Anne Boleyn walks, they declare Poor Anne Boleyn was once King Henry's wife Until he made the headsman bob her hair Ah yes, he did her wrong long years ago and she comes up at night to tell him so With her head tucked underneath her arm She walks the bloody tower With her head tucked underneath her arm At the midnight hour She comes to haunt King Henry She means giving him what for That soup she's going to tell him off She's feeling very sore and just in case the headsman wants to give her an encore She has her head tucked underneath her arm With her head tucked underneath her arm She walks the bloody tower With her head tucked underneath her arm At the midnight hour the sentries think that it's a football that she carries in And when they've had a few, they shout, is army going to win? They think that it's Red Grange instead of poor old Anne Boleyn With her head tucked underneath her arm Sometimes gay King Henry gives a spread For all his pals and gals a ghostly crew the headsman carves the joint and cuts the bread Then in comes Anne Boleyn to queer the dew She holds her head up with a wild war hoop And Henry cries, don't drop it in the soup With her head tucked underneath her arm She walks the bloody tower With her head tucked Underneath her arm at the midnight hour One night she caught King Henry, he was in the canteen bar Said he, are you Jane Seymour, Anne Boleyn or Catherine Parr? For how the sweet Sam Perry Ann do I know who you are? With your head tucked underneath your arm